Speaking of New Year's resolutions, have you made yours yet? <laughs> some are going, yeah, some are going, yeah. Well, you know, usually about this time of year, right, we, we start thinking about, well, what, what might, maybe there should be something we're going to give up or something we're going to start doing in the new year to improve our life in the year 2020. It's, it's kind of a tradition. We, you know, we get to the end of the one year and we think back over 2019 and we think about our history, we think about the ups and downs, and then we start to look forward to what we hope 2020 will be like. And in our passage today, it's really interesting where Moses and the people of Israel are in a very similar situation to us. They're, they're not at Times Square, they're not waiting for the ball to drop, they're not waiting for New Year's, but they are anticipating going into the promised land, and they are looking back over their history as they then look forward to what, is, what they hope will come. This passage we're going to cover today, just 17 verses, this passage comes loaded. It is full of wonderful insights from the Lord about how you and I, how you and I this year can look forward to having a blessed life. You picked a really beautiful and great day to come to church. Let's pray together. Father, before we ever open your word, we, we pause to remember it's, this is your word. This is from your heart to ours. And Father, even though our Bible is written in English, some, some of the things you talk about are above us. They're mysteries. They are things that are uh, about you, Lord, and you are bigger than us, and we have trouble understanding sometimes. But when we rely on your Spirit, you can teach us and we can learn. And I just pray today we would all come to this passage with open hearts and open ears to hear your voice. Father, as we come to the end of the year, this may have been a really challenging year for a lot of us. And maybe we're going through deep waters today. And maybe we're looking at the next year to come and we have apprehension. Help us see, Father, that our, our time, our future, every moment of our life is in your hands, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you please turn to Deuteronomy chapter 11? We're going to cover verses 1 to 17. And since we're still sort of in the Christmas season, I thought we would start with a quote from Charles Dickens. Remember, Dickens wrote the Christmas story, uh, the story of Scrooge. Here's what Dickens said. Dickens said, Reflect upon your present blessings, of which everyone has many, not on your past misfortunes, of which all of us have some. Dickens suggests something that I think we probably would all agree is true, that we tend to remember our troubles more than we focus on our blessings. Think how much our life change, changes, our outlook changes when we look upon the blessings of God and keep those utmost in our mind instead of our troubles. C.S. Lewis wrote, when we lose one blessing, another is often most unexpectedly given in its place. I love this because C.S. Lewis reminds us that God, God works in unexpected ways. He just does. And when one blessing goes away, God always has something else for us. But sometimes, sometimes the blessing that God has for us is in disguise. Chuck Swindoll said, we are all faced with a series of great opportunities 
brilliantly disguised as impossible situations. Chuck is right. No matter, no matter what happens in our lives, in your life, in my life, you and I can know for certain that God is in control. God is in complete control all the time. We are truly blessed when we learn to have confidence in the Lord no matter what, especially when we're going through difficult, even impossible-looking situations. In our passage today, Moses is going to tell us how much God wants, in fact, how much God loves to bless you and me when we love and obey Him. So let's read chapter 11. We're going to read the first seven verses together, verses 1 to 7. Moses says, You shall therefore love the Lord your God and always keep His charge, His statutes, His ordinances, and His commandments. Know this day that I am not speaking with your sons who have not known and who have not seen the discipline of the Lord your God, His greatness, His mighty hand, and His outstretched arm, and His signs and His works which He did in the midst of Egypt to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and to all His land. And what he did to Egypt's army, to its horses and its chariots, when he made the water of the Red Sea to engulf them while they were pursuing you, and the Lord completely destroyed them. And what he did to you in the wilderness until you came to this place. And what he did to Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, the son of Reuben, when the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them, their households, their tents, and every living thing that followed them among all Israel. But your own eyes have seen all the great work of the Lord, which he did. Moses begins. Did you see that right at the beginning? He says, he says, you shall therefore love the Lord your God. In other words, there's a reason why. There's a reason why the people should love the Lord. Let's remind ourselves of what that reason is. It's in chapter 10. We, Pastor Drew covered this two weeks ago, but since Drew, we've had Pastor John, then we had Christmas, so we've probably erased everything that we ever knew about chapter 10. But very quickly, a summary of chapter 10, Moses goes through all the many ways God has blessed and poured out his mercy and his love on the people. Let's look at just the last verse of chapter 10, Deuteronomy 10, 22. This is how that chapter concludes. Moses says, your fathers went down to Egypt, 70, 70 persons in all, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. Here's a real tangible blessing that Moses is talking about. He's talking about a family you may have heard of, the family of Joseph. And they went to live in Egypt to escape a severe drought in their homeland. And God blessed this family of just 70 people. And over a period of about three to 400 years, these 70 people grew into a, the nation, the Hebrew nation, with a population more numerous than the stars in the sky. So in verse 1 of chapter 11, Moses says, because, because God is so good, because God is so faithful, because God is already blessing you so much, your only acceptable response is to love and obey Him. Yeah, amen. Absolutely. You know, Jesus had a lot to say about love and obedience. In John 14, 23, Jesus said, If anyone loves me, he will keep, he will obey my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode. We will make our home with him. The we means God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. When you and I choose to obey the Lord, we are not trying to earn his love. We already have his love. So our obedience does not earn the love of God. Our obedience is in response to the love of God. Our obedience is how we show our love to our God who loves you and me more 
than we can possibly fathom. I think that's what eternity is going to be all about for us. I think it will take all of eternity for you and I to fully understand how much God loves us. So Jesus said, when we give our hearts to him, he gives us the greatest blessing in the entire world. He fills our life with himself. He fills our life with himself. So we can have a personal relationship, not a religion, but we can have a personal relationship with the Lord. We can have a personal relationship with our Creator. We can have a personal relationship with our Savior. You and I may or may not be blessed with wealth in our lifetime, but every single one of us can be rich in Christ. To be rich in Christ means that Jesus saves us. He saves us from death. He saves us from the wrath of God. Jesus frees us from our slavery to sin. Jesus restores our broken lives, and he fills us with his spirit. Jesus fills us with his love, his peace, his strength, his joy, and his truth, now and forever. When this earthly life is over, whenever that happens, you and I, we have the greatest retirement plan in the universe. We get to go home to heaven to be with Jesus and be with each other forever and ever. In Scripture, the command to love the Lord is not, is not a command to have some certain warm feeling about God. Feelings come and go, right? Sometimes we feel close to the Lord. Sometimes we don't. God is not commanding you and me to feel something. God is commanding you and me to do something. Jesus said it very simply in John 14, 15. You know this passage. If you love me, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You and I can give God all sorts of things. We can give him our time. So many of you do. We can give him our money. But none of that matters. None of that matters to the Lord if we do not give him our whole hearts. In the last book of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, look what Jesus says to the church at Ephesus. Revelation 2, 2 to 4. Jesus says, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance. Jesus knows all about their hard work and that you cannot tolerate evil men and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not and you found them to be false. Jesus commends these Christians for not tolerating false teachers. Verse 3, and you have perseverance and have endured for my namesake and have not grown weary. These Christians are hard, hard working and long suffering. And then we come to verse 4 where Jesus says, but I have this against you. You have left your first love. You don't love me like you used to. Love is beautiful when it's growing. But the decay of love is a tragedy. Love can decay in a marriage. Love can fade in a family and in a friendship. Love for Jesus can decline in a church and in our hearts. Like the church at Ephesus, you and I have to be very careful that we don't let anything, including our ministries, become more important to us than our love for our Savior. What do you think Jesus sees today when he looks into your heart 
and he looks into my heart. What does he see today? What would he say to you and I today? Does he see that you and I still love him <laughs> with all our hearts? Or does he see that perhaps other things have come into our lives that we love more? Back to our passage in Deuteronomy. Maybe you notice as we read it together, starting in verse 2, Moses talks directly to the older adults in his audience because these are the ones who were children during the exodus from Egypt. These were the ones who were eyewitnesses to the miracles God performed to break Pharaoh's will to let the Hebrews leave Egypt, leave their slavery. In the book of Exodus, we read how God sent ten devastating plagues on, on Egypt to convince Pharaoh to let the Hebrew slaves leave Egypt. And it started when Moses' brother Aaron touched the Nile River with his staff. And the Nile River water turned to blood. In fact, all water in Egypt, all water in Egypt turned to blood. Even the water they had stored in stone jars turned to blood, which meant all water throughout the land of Egypt was undrinkable. This was only the first plague. More plagues came. Each one was worse than the one before it. Then the tenth and final plague was the death of every firstborn Egyptian child, even the firstborn among the animals. But the firstborn among the Hebrews that were in the land were spared because the angel of death passed over the Hebrew houses that marked the doorposts and marked the lintel across the top with the blood of a lamb. This was the sign of the coming Messiah, wasn't it? It was the sign of what Jesus, the Lamb of God, would do on the cross when he shed his blood to save you and I from the death penalty of our sins. This older generation Moses is talking to witnessed these plagues. They saw the angel of death spare their family when they were children. They got to see that. They also saw God drown the world's most powerful army at that time. After Moses and the people left, remember Pharaoh changed his mind. And he chased after them with his horses and chariots to slaughter everyone. Pharaoh thought he had his former slaves trapped at the shore of the Red Sea. But God parted the Red Sea so Moses and the people could walk across it. Pharaoh thought, well, okay, if they can walk across it, so can we. So then he sent his army in to chase after them to slaughter them on the other side. But God closed the waters over the top of this powerful army and drowned them. Later in the wilderness, this same generation got to see God do more miracles. Like food came down from heaven every day. They saw God produce water out of a rock in the middle of the dry desert. And their clothes and their sandals never wore out over 40 years of wandering. I wish I, wish I could still fit the clothes I wore 40 years ago. <laughs> that, that would be a miracle. <laughs> All through the book of Deuteronomy, we've seen Moses reminding the people of things they should never forget. But aren't we just like the people of Israel sometime? Don't you marvel? Don't you marvel at the stupid things you can't forget and the important things you can't remember? Right? Here's an example. 44-2-0. 44-2-0. 
That was the combination of my high school locker. <laughs> yep. If I, can remember, if I can remember that kind of absolutely useless information, why do I struggle sometimes to remember the Word of God and the faithfulness of God in my life? When we forget the Word of God and the faithfulness of God, we become worriers instead of warriors. And a life of fear is not the blessed life that God wants for us. It's not how God wants us to live. Do you ever count your blessings? Do you do that? Do you ever count your blessings? When you count your blessings, do you include God's discipline in your list? When you're thanking Him for your good looks and your health and all the other things, do you thank God for the hard lessons He's taught you? You ever do that? In verse 6, we're going to read verse 6 again because Moses reminds the people of God's tough love. Let me read verse 6 again to you. He says, Moses said, You saw what he, what God, did to Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, the son of Reuben, when the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them, their households, their tents, and every living thing that followed them among all Israel. Moses is reminding the people of how God responded to a very ugly rebellion in the wilderness. Remember, God chose, God chose Moses to lead the people. But these two knucklehead brothers, Dathan and Abiram, didn't want to follow Moses. They did not want to submit to God's authority. They wanted to be in charge. And they got several hundred people to follow them. Let's read how God responded to this rebellion when Moses gathered all the people around him. I'm going to read to you from Numbers chapter 16, verses 28 to 30. This is from the New Living Translation. And Moses said, This is how you will know that the Lord has sent me to do all these things that I have done, for I have not done them on my own. If these men, he's talking about Dathan and, Ab Dathan and Abiram and their followers, he says, if these men die a natural death, or if nothing unusual happens, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord does something entirely new and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them and all their belongings and they go down alive into the grave, then you will know that these men have shown contempt for the Lord. Moses wasn't fighting for his. He didn't care what they said about him. He was, they were showing contempt for the Lord. Verse 31, Moses had hardly finished speaking the words when the ground suddenly split open beneath them. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed the men. It swallowed Dathan and Abiram along with their households and all their followers who were standing with them and everything they owned. Verse 33, So they went down alive into the grave along with all their belongings. The earth closed over them, and they all vanished from among the people of Israel. What a terrifying thing to witness. Can you imagine what that would be like to see that? The screams that you'd hear, the shock of watching that happen, what a horrible thing to witness and to remember. But it's important for you and I that we do witness, we do learn, and we do remember the lessons the Lord's taught us. It's really important for us to remember them. In Hebrews 12, verse 11, it says, all discipline, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. The wonderful news for us is this. God fully understands, even better than we do, how weak we are. God gets it. God knows our weaknesses. God knows that even though we love Him, and even though it is the desire of our heart to obey Him, sometimes 
we fail to obey the Lord. Sometimes we disobey the Lord we love. So God gently, God gently just guides us back to Him when we disobey Him so that we can repent and be forgiven. But when we ignore the Lord's gentle training, God can be less gentle to get our attention. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation. I have. In the short term, in the short term, the discipline of the Lord is unpleasant. But in the long term, that's what we need to look at. That's what the Bible's talking about. In the long term, His discipline keeps us on His path. And walking His path is the most blessed path you and I can walk in this world. Starting in verse 8, Moses reveals some other incredible insights into how God blesses our love and obedience. Look at verse 8. He says, You shall therefore keep every commandment which I'm commanding you today so that you may be what? What's that word? Strong. So that you may be strong and go in and possess the land into which you are about to cross to possess it. This verse contains a surprising statement maybe you haven't realized before. Obedience to the Lord makes us strong. In other words, submitting to the Lord is not a sign of weakness. Submitting to the Lord is a source of overwhelming strength. When you and I submit to the Lord, when we obey the Lord, it is not a sign of weakness. It is the source of overwhelming strength. You and I can experience the real power of God in our lives when we love Him with all our hearts and we obey what He says. Look at verse 9 so that you may prolong your days on the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them and to their descendants, a land flowing with milk and honey. The promised land is often described as a land flowing with milk and honey. This does not mean that the terrain is really like something from Willy Wonka. It, doesn't, it wasn't literal that the rivers were a little sticky because they were flowing with milk and honey. The phrase flowing with milk and honey means something much more wonderful. It means whatever small, small sacrifices the people make to obey the Lord, God is going to bless them and make it well worth their while. You and I, you and I cannot outlove the Lord. The blessing of obeying God always far outweighs whatever little sacrifices we make to obey Him. The regrets you and I have in life comes from our disobedience to God, not from our obedience. Verses 10 to 12. For the land into which you are entering to possess it is not like the land of Egypt from which you came, where you used to sow your seed and water it with your foot like a vegetable garden. But the land into which you are about to cross to possess it, a land of hills and valleys, drinks water from the rain of heaven. Doesn't that sound pretty? Drinks water from the rain of heaven? Moses was a good speaker and a good writer. A land for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it from the beginning even to the end of the year. Moses is telling us that the blessings of God are far better than anything the world has to offer. Moses reminds the people that while they, they were in Egypt, they, had, they were lived in a land with very little rain. They relied on the Nile River for water. They had to. The Nile was their only source of water. The phrase water with your foot could refer to how they made little irrigation channels with their feet for their gardens. Or it could refer to how they carried water by foot 
that they took from the Nile River to take that into their gardens and fields. In contrast to Egypt, the promised land is not all about irrigation. It's not about a river and man-made irrigation. The promised land depends on the rain that the Lord himself personally provides at just the right times of the year. Let's read on, verses 13 to 15. Moses says, It shall come about, if you listen obediently to my commandments, which I am commanding you today, to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and all your soul. Let me just stop here to say again, the Lord does not want and the Lord does not deserve anything less from us than our wholehearted devotion. Verse 14, He will give the rain for your land in its season, the early and the late rain, that you may gather in your grain and your new wine and your oil. He will give grass in your fields for your cattle, and you will eat and you will be satisfied. <clears throat> Here's a question. Maybe you're wondering, maybe you're not. <laughs> you will after I ask it, I hope. Why is Moses talking so much about rain? There's a lot of things he could talk about. Why is he being a weatherman all of a sudden? Why is he talking about rain? Probably because he knew his people had a really bad habit of turning away from God to worship idols and false gods wherever they went. And one of the main gods in the new land they were about to enter was the god Baal. The local people who lived in that land believed Baal controlled the weather, including the rain. Maybe Moses could already see what his people were thinking. They were probably already thinking, hmm, when we move to Canaan, if we want rain, we better pray to that Canaanite God. You know, you and I, we might not be tempted. <clears throat> We've probably never. I would guess none of us have ever prayed to Baal for rain. But have you ever had this thought go through your head? Have you ever thought, if I want to be successful in the world, I better do things the world's way? instead of God's way? Ever have a thought kind of like that with your mind? It's the same thing. Anything we put ahead of God, anything that we consider more important than loving and obeying Him is an idol in God's eyes. Our passage now ends with a really important warning for us. Let's look at verse 16 to 17. Beware that your hearts are not deceived and that you do not turn away and serve other gods and worship them, or the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will shut up the heavens. So there will be no rain, and the ground will not yield its fruit, and you will perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. God is warning us about something we really need to understand. It's really important for you and me to understand. Times of prosperity, times when God blesses us, are the times when you and I are most likely to have our hearts deceived and most likely when we're going to turn away from God. That's how human nature works, doesn't it? When things are tough, things are tough, wow, we, we uh, read our Bibles, we pray. We think about God all the time. We're in prayer all the time. We come to church. We don't miss it. But when God removes the trouble and we're walking in the sunshine, and all is well in our world, we tend to relax. And when we relax, we tend to take our eyes off of God. We're not laser-focused on the Lord anymore. We're looking around, and we start to see other things that become more important to us than loving and obeying our God. It's wonderful to see that God led his people to a, the promised land where the need for rain, the need for rain would keep his people focused and dependent on him all the time. 
This is actually one of God's greatest blessings in your life and in my life, but it's one of those blessings that is in disguise. Sometimes God puts us in a situation where we really need to depend on Him for a long period of time. And this is exactly the kind of situation where we pray, Lord, get me out of this. I don't want to be in this long situation where I have to depend on you. Lord, save me. Fix my problem. Hurry. Lord, hurry. Answer my prayer. It's right to pray those things. It's absolutely right to pray those things. But sometimes, sometimes, our loving Father says, I'm not. I'm not going to remove that situation from your life right now because it's better for you to keep trusting me in it. When we pray, we're going through deep waters. Sometimes the Lord says, no, no, I'm not going to remove that from you right now because it's better for you to keep trusting me in it. I'd like to share something personal with you about being in a long-term rely-on-the-Lord situation. As some of you know, I was diagnosed with kidney cancer in 2016. Since then, I've had surgeries and I've had treatments. And you have been praying for me, and it's been wonderful. But the Lord, so far, has decided not to make me cancer-free yet. I am grateful to God because I've had what the doctors call a major response to my treatments. I'm in remission. I feel great. I do. I have not felt this good in years. I feel great. So please, there's no bad news coming. I'm telling you, I feel great. (laughs) But I do have just a couple of tiny nodules in my lung that they're watching because it's common for kidney cancer to spread to the lungs. In fact, I did have one small nodule removed a few years ago that was cancer. I also only have one kidney, so doctors have to monitor my kidney function. So every three months, every three months I go to the Norris Cancer Center at USC for a CT scan and blood work. And my family and I, we, we sort of hold our breath to see what the tests are going to show this time, right? We trust the Lord. We trust the Lord, of course, but it's still a little nerve-wracking to see that date come up every three months to go back to USC. But again, I'm stable. I'm in remission, so no bad news. But as the Lord would have it, as the Lord would have it while I'm preparing this message, my December scan revealed a cloudy area in my lung that hasn't been there before. So that sets off bells at USC. Anything with my health, just they react to. So I was back in the hospital a couple of weeks ago just overnight, just for the day. I, I went to sleep. That was my job. I went to sleep. And then the wonderful doctors uh, explored my lung with a, with a camera and a needle biopsy instrument. Medicine is amazing. And then um, they ran a bunch of tests, and my family and I, we waited for what felt like a really, really long week to get the results of all the tests they ran. The results came back in the cloudy area in my lung. The new cloudy area is not cancer. It's an infection that they can fix with antibiotics. So that's great. But there is a tiny little nodule they found in there that very, very likely is just part of the infection. It's probably just part of the infection, but it could be something else. We're trusting the Lord as we now wait for the February 
scan to see what that might tell us. Sometimes, sometimes my family and I wonder why God just doesn't make those nodules go away. They're small, Lord. Can't you just get rid of them? Then we don't have to worry. We don't have to rely on you, Lord, if you just get rid of those. But then I look at this bracelet that I wear. My daughter Annie gave me this bracelet. Maybe you've noticed it on my arm before. I don't know. But I never take it off. Everyone in my family wears one. Even my 10-year-old granddaughter in Tennessee wears one. It's orange for kidney cancer. My daughter Annie had it printed with these words. I'll read you the words. It says on here, it says, pray, give thanks, repeat. (laughs) Pray, give thanks, repeat. Pray, give thanks, repeat is the best way. It's the blessed way to go through the twists and turns and the ups and downs of life. Pray, give thanks, repeat means my situation and your situation is firmly in the Lord's hands. And being in the Lord's hands is the best place you and I can possibly be, especially when we're scared sometimes. The Lord is real. His word is true. And while cancer, as a lot of you know, is not a fun road, it is a blessed road. It's more blessed than I can describe. Let's all make a New Year's resolution to worry less and rely on the Lord more in the year 2020. Let's love and obey the Lord with all our hearts and have a really blessed New Year. Our worship team, would you come on up, please? And our prayer team is going to be right over here to to my left, your right. At the end of service, if you would like prayer for anything, please come up. We have people that would just love to pray with you. Let me close in prayer. What can we say to these things that we've read today, Lord, other than thank you? We believe you. We trust you. We love you. And we want to show our love and faith in you by obeying your commandments. It's really the desire of our hearts. You are the Lord, our God, our creator, our savior, and the sustainer of our lives every moment of every day. From you alone comes every blessing. From you alone, Lord, comes every good and perfect gift. Father, forgive us for wandering off your path sometimes. Forgive us for loving anything more than we love you. Fill our lives with your presence. Fill our lives with your love, your strength, your peace, and your truth, we pray in the name that is above every name, our Lord Jesus. Amen.